Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. Grab your Bible, if you would. Uh, if you need one, there's under one under your seat or one in front of you, and we're going to be in Acts. Uh, but let me ask you this. Have you ever done anything really stupid? <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was really quick. Yep. <laughs> so some years ago, uh, I think the girls were 10, 8, and 6, and we got this old Ford Bronco. We loved it. It's old piece of junk, broke down all the time. But the first time we took it out, uh, we were all excited. I brought it home. Everybody hopped in, and we went up to the top of Prison Hill or Prison Mountain. And my whole thing was I wanted to see if we could go around the back and come over and, and get home. And we get up there. And uh, we get to a spot where the road continues, but it had been washed out. You know, the rains, the storm had washed out, and there was kind of a ravine in the middle. And so we parked, and I walked past. I said, oh, the road continues. We just have to get past this part. I said, I think I can straddle it. Um, and Callie said, that's a bad idea. <laughs> I don't think you should do it. Um, and her memory is that the girls said the same thing. I don't remember that. Uh, but a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old going, Dad, don't do it. Um, but I knew better. So I had them get out just in case, and I straddled it, and then whoop, fell right in. I've never been that stuck. I mean, this, I had pictures of it. I couldn't find them, but the back left tire was like two or three feet off the ground. It's one of those you look at, and you're like, all right, we're walking home. Um, and here's how stupid it was. We didn't have shoes. Well, the girls didn't have shoes. They were in their swimsuits. Uh, we didn't have water. And it's like, okay, well, it's summer, it's hot. And we started walking home. And it was a fun little adventure. And we're walking in line, single file coming down. And the fourth one in line, Callie, goes, oh, look, a rattlesnake. And there's this big old rattlesnake right next to, so all these girls barefoot walked within a foot of this rattlesnake. Anyway, kind of stupid. Um, if I would have listened to wise counsel, we would have avoided that whole situation. Now, looking back, that's not a huge deal, but have you ever had one of those times where somebody gives you wise counsel, somebody advises you, and you ignore it, and then you look back and you're like, I should have listened. And probably most of us husbands here have stories of those with our wives where they had it right and we had it wrong. But there are some of those that can be life-changing. There are some that really are life and death. And we're going to look at a warning today, actually a couple warnings, in Acts as we wrap this up, that really can come down to life or death. Now, I want to look at the end because we're finishing the book today, Acts 28. So turn, this is the last chapter in Acts. And if you remember, we've been following Paul most recently. Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, taken to Caesarea. Then he gets on a ship and he goes to Rome where he's in prison there waiting to, to appear before Caesar. And here's how the book ends. Acts 28. 30, he, that is Paul, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Done. That's it. It ends really with a to be continued. I mean, it should be, instead of a period, like a, a triple dot. You know what I mean? When they put that and go, the story continues, you know, or coming next week, whatever. But it finishes here. We don't even know what happens to Paul. Not from here. From history, we do. From some of his writings, we get some ideas of what happens next. But he probably went to Spain. Then he probably came back to Rome, was arrested again, and that's when he was beheaded and killed. But we don't know. And here's why, I think. It ends with this to be continued because the story hasn't ended. Who is the main character in the book of Acts? Peter? Paul? The main character is Jesus Christ. 
And the story is of what God does through Jesus, through his church. So you see in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the works of Jesus on earth. Then when Jesus leaves and ascends, he sends the Holy Spirit among his people. The book of Acts is the same story of what Jesus is doing through his people. And by the way, it hasn't changed. We have the same spirit. We have the same mission right now. So Acts could be continued and we could read through history and see the stories of some of us would be in those stories. Most of us would be in those stories. The, the gospel continues to move forward. And so I want to look at two warnings at the book of Acts because it is to be continued. It isn't a period now everybody rest and relax. The mission continues. And so I want to see two focuses of Paul. Now, Paul, most of what we see at the end here, there's some narrative, but whenever he speaks, it's evangelistic. He's speaking to non-believers. He, he's trying to convince people to come to faith. And so Acts 26, so if you're in 28, flip over just a little bit. We looked at this last week, but I want to hone in on it one more time because we're finishing the book of Acts today. Acts 26, 27, and 29. Uh, this is Paul in Caesarea before he goes to Rome. Uh, and here, uh, King, Her or King Agrippa comes with his wife to hear and listen to Paul. And while they're conversing, Paul says this, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul's great warning is to the non-believer. His great appeal is to the non-believer. Believe. Believe, and so we have to finish with that today. We have to say that if you are here and you have not placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, believe, surrender to Jesus. There is one way to life, and it is Jesus. There's one way to eternal life, and it is Jesus. There's one way to experience the abundant life, and this isn't prosperity gospel, but the abundant life, the best life here is through Jesus. Jesus died so you could be forgiven. Jesus rose from the dead. Surrender to Jesus as Lord and receive eternal life. That's the gospel. It really is that simple. Now, it doesn't mean when you surrender, everything's going to be perfect. You know, raise your hand. We won't raise your hand if you've continued to struggle with sin after salvation. Now we enter kind of this street fight of growing in Christ. But life is found in Jesus. And there's no other way. Now, the world right now will say, find your truth. You be you, right? Be true to yourself. Well, here's what the Bible says in Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And when we're saved, and again, you can do this today. All you do is just agree with God that he's right. Believe Jesus died and rose from the dead and commit to following him. That's it. Then you enter the kingdom. If you see those last two verses in Acts, Paul stayed there in Rome and he taught about the kingdom. That was the emphasis. He didn't, he didn't teach about the church so much. He did, but he was teaching about the kingdom. When Jesus started his ministry, what was his first message as he wandered around? He said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. The great theme is the kingdom. The kingdom is God's control. Wherever God is in control, mainly with his people. And the way he works out his kingdom right now is through his church. But the kingdom is greater than any one church. That's why one of our values here is kingdom over castle. 
Meaning if we make a decision, or we, we have a decision to make, and it's better for God's kingdom, but not as good for us as Common Ground Church, we're going to do whatever's best for the kingdom. Because it's not about us, it's about the kingdom. But the kingdom and God's work is expressed through local churches. You know, that's why we pray every Sunday before this service, uh, and that's a good time. And this morning, like most Sundays, we pray for the other churches in town. Those that have Jesus at the center, that God will show up there, that people will be saved there, that people will be discipled there because it's the kingdom. But now I want to look at a warning to churches. Because you look throughout history and you'll see what has happened in churches over and over and over to tear them down. But we need to go back real quick before we look at this warning to Acts 1.8 to remind us of our mission. Acts 1.8, at the very beginning, says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's our mission. So when we're kingdom-focused, we're focusing on this mission of moving out. We come to faith in Jesus. Now we introduce others in, into that same faith, and we grow in him to experience the abundant life. This, this constant moving. But that church there, this early church, was threatened we're threatened the same way. So turn to Acts 20 now, and this is where we're going to camp out. It's in Acts 20. Because in Acts 20, these are Paul's last words to the elders at Ephesus. We did study this passage already, but we didn't hone in on this part. Paul is warning them. He, he had been there for, for years teaching and planting this church. Now he's moving on. He knows he's not going to go back. He's going to be heading on to Jerusalem and then Rome. And so he gives this final warning to this young church to the leaders of it in Acts 20, 28. He tells them this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. There's a warning here. Two specific threats. Watch out for those coming in from the outside and watch out for deception from those you already trust. Be alert for what? He calls them wolves. Jesus would say the same thing in Matthew 7, 15, and it's on the screen here. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inside are ravenous wolves. What is the greatest threat to the church? It's not persecution from the outside. The greatest threat to the church is that it be torn down from the inside. And we've seen that. You look throughout history, how often have churches been torn down from the inside? And right now we could look at what's happening nationwide in the, the Christian church. And it's being torn down in many ways from the inside. What is the specific warning? It's against false teaching. Uh, we're reading a book as pastors called Kingdom First, you know, looking at planting churches and, and how the kingdom goes. And the, the writer wrote this. He's a church planter. He says this, I can give you a long list of names and faces of these outsiders that marched into our assemblies and looked for acceptance and position, but who were in fact fierce wolves. Curiously few were from our target audience of lostness. The vast majority came equipped with long and impressive evangelical pedigrees. 
This was the greatest warning I got when, when God put it on our heart to plant Common Ground Church here. The greatest warning I got was watch out. Watch out for people coming in, wanting influence, and leading people astray. Watch out for those with evangelical pedigrees, walking in with their resume. Look at all the things I've done. Let me lead in your church. That was the greatest warning that I got. And that's the, the last warning Paul is giving to this church as well. Watch out. But there's something hard about this. Here's the rub. Most who come in from the outside are wonderful gifts from God. Honestly, I mean, I can look around and start pointing you out and going through the list of those of you who God has brought here and is using greatly to disciple, to evangelize. So most are wonderful. Most are, are God's gift. A few are wolves, and they're hidden. I, I've been reading a fun book about spycraft and CIA and stuff like that. Um, and this, that's kind of what this looks like. It's kind of like, like people infiltrating. Uh, the writer of this used to be a CIA spy, and he says the best tool that we ever had is double agents. If you can get a double agent, then you're, you can destroy your enemy there. That's kind of what we're looking at here, is the enemy sending in double agents among us. You know, those who look really good. That's this warning. Both of them, those who come in from the outside, those who rise up from among you, look really, really good at first. They're hidden. But then they come up and they start leading astray. And the rub is, again, our whole mission is to reach people. It is. Our mission is to go make disciples. Our mission is to bring people in. So we can't close our doors and say, us for no more. We can't say we're done because that's not our mission. We have to constantly be going out, bringing people in. But the risk of that is that some will be these fierce wolves coming in to lead people astray. Now, what is the threat uh, in 1 Timothy? So Paul later would be in prison, and he would write to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor of the church in Ephesus. These elders are from the church in Ephesus, same church. Paul writes to the pastor there and says, here's the same warning, but I'm going to elaborate on it a little bit. This is going to be on the screen. You don't have to look it up. 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 5, he writes this. He says, as I urged you, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. His instruction here, watch out for false doctrine. That's the great warning. And we look through history. This is what's happened in the church. People come up from among the myths and start teaching heresies is the traditional word for this. Heresies, lies, things that might look close to true about God, but aren't, but lead people astray. This is in your notes. Our doctrine must remain pure with the goal of growing in love for God and others. Our doctrine must remain pure. Truth. Truth is real. Truth is absolute. God is what he is, and he has communicated to us what he is through his word. We need to stand on that truth, and there is only one truth. Again, one way to salvation, Jesus Christ. And we need to stand on that truth and watch out for the lies coming in. What do these look like? You know, I mean, we could go through the list. We don't have time. But uh, throughout history, some have been this. Jesus was not fully human. 
That, that's one of those heresies that came in. Another one, Jesus was not God. Jesus did not physically rise from the dead, just spiritually rose from the dead. I mean, we can go down the list. A prosperity gospel is another one of those that is really incipient in the American church today. That if you're good enough, if your faith is strong enough, if you give enough, God will then give back to you and make you healthy and wealthy. That is a lie. That is not what the Bible teaches. And so there's these false teaching, but then here's another one. This one's sneaky too. Uh, as he talks about, look, if you can, put 1 Timothy 3, or 1, 3 and 5 back up there. But because he says false teaching, but then also, so different doctrine, or devoting to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations. So these aren't necessarily lies or false teaching. It's just a waste of time. And maybe you've experienced some of that. You know, Bible studies and things focusing, you know, maybe years-long studies on eschatology. When really the whole thing about the end times is Jesus is coming back. Until then, be about his business, trust him. When he comes back, things are going to work out. I mean, that's kind of the thrust. You're going to suffer until then, but it's worth it. So getting into all the details and fighting over what pre-trib or post-trib or whatever, it's a fun study, but you get too wrapped up into that. It's just distracting. It's just leading astray. And so many other things, hidden codes in the Bible. You know, some people get wrapped up in that. Ooh, there's numbers in the Bible and there's hidden codes. And they spend all this time wrestling on that, which it's just distracting. Right? It's not focusing on the, the thrust and the key. And the, the thrust, the key, the, the goal at the end of 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal is love from a pure heart and a good conscience. So the goal is that we love God more, we love others more, in line with God's word. So I'm not saying no knowledge. We need the knowledge. We need to grow. But the goal is love. 2 Timothy 2.17 Paul writes this, and he's referring to these false teachers. He says, their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. This is interesting. So Paul had told the, the elders at Ephesus, the church leaders, watch out. Here, he, he tells Timothy, here's their names, meaning church leaders were called to see it and call it out when it's there, even by name. That sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? Paul's writing to him saying, expose these false teachers. We in the American church, we, because we want to be loving, we have a tendency to be kind of passive about this stuff. Um, and things just kind of continue. And, and I've been in these conversations before where it's like, oh, this is going wrong over here. Well, if we just ignore it long enough, it'll go away. It's like, no, <laughs> we're called here to deal with it because that's what's loving. It is not loving. I mean, parents, you know this. It's not loving to let your kid just go play in the street. You know, oh, you do what you want. No, loving is to protect, to guide. And so church leaders, the loving thing is to guard doctrine, is to watch out. And so let me tell you this. We're watching. Let me encourage you. We here are, we're watching. We're paying attention. We have a process. Uh, like this quote from, from Jeff Christofferson in the book, we have a process, and nobody skips the process. It takes a while to get into leadership here, and that's on purpose. Because a lot of times people walk in with their, their pedigree, their, their resume, saying, put me in charge. And we say, no, go through the process. And through the process, God, you know, reveals things, and most of the time reveals great things and leads people into leadership, into service. But here's the thing. You won't always be here. Some of you are going to move. 
Some of you, God's going to lead to other churches, whatever, which is a good thing. God's going to move you on. You need to be able to watch for false teaching. You can't rely on me. In fact, the Bible says you are responsible for what you listen to. So if I go off, you need to be aware. You know, I, I am not an authority. Scripture's the authority, and you need to have the tools to recognize truth from falsehood. So as we wrap up, I want to give you four tests to help you discern truth from falsehood because you can't depend on other people, in, in all honesty. You, we live in a day and age, there are many good teachers. I mean, all the best teachers from around the world, you can hop online, boom, and listen to them. But at the same time, you can listen to some that sound really good, but will lead you astray. And so here's some tools. Test number one, when you're hearing a truth, the test of origin. The test of origin. Sound doctrine originates with God. False doctrine originates with someone or something created by God. This one's a big one. Where's it coming from? What's the source? You know, look at any world religion. Many don't even claim divine authority. You know who Buddha was? Buddha, the original Buddha, he was just a guy that wandered around and like figured it out. He figured out the path, you know, to right living and then wrote it down and sent it. He didn't even claim divine authority. Divine authority, the test of origin. Most of the time, and you can look at the cults and those things, people rise up from a midst, and it's man's thinking, not God's thinking. It's, it's logic a lot of times. Well, here's what God says in Isaiah 55. He says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. Men and women, we are not smart enough to figure it out on our own. We can trust God. We can trust his authority, and maybe you've heard this, I know the Bible says but, or I can't believe in a God that would do this or that. Well, guess what? You're not that smart. (laughs) I'm not that smart. None of us are that smart. God is God, and we would be wise to listen to him and let him instruct us in truth. And so that's the first test. Test two, though, the test of authority, because some people have claimed to hear from God but have led astray. Every cult that has been formed, every cult that has gone away, most of the time, they start with somebody getting a new word from God, Joseph Smith. He met with this angel, and he got this new vision. He claimed the authority was God, right? And others, too. We can go through the other cults. They got this prophecy or whatever. So here's the test of authority. Sound doctrine grounds its authority within the Bible. False doctrine grounds its authority outside the Bible. This is the truth. We talked about it some in our outpost group this week, uh, but the Bible. The Bible is a miracle. Just go study it. We have a handout uh, available if you want it on the Bible reliability. But the ancient manuscripts, how they all agree, we know that we have what was originally written, that it, all of it agrees. It tells the same story. There are no discrepancies in it. This is a miraculous book. No other religion has anything close to this. This is the authority. And the Bible itself claims to be the authority, Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word does that, not our words, not a man or a woman's opinion. The word, 2 Timothy, right? Paul writes this to him saying, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped, ready for every good work. This is the authority. There's power in God's word. 
And so we rest on Scripture. Okay, but, now you're going to say yes, but some people use Scripture and teach wrong doctrine, teach other things. So here's test three, the test of consistency. Most of the time when things go off, it's one or two verses or something taken out of context and some kind of truth based on that, consistency. Sound doctrine is consistent with the whole of Scripture. False doctrine is inconsistent with some parts of Scripture. If somebody discovers a new way to read the Bible, guess what? It's probably wrong. Right? We've had this for two, the New Testament for 2,000 years. If there's been a, the right way to read it for this long and somebody's like, nah, I found a new way, they're probably wrong. The Bible is consistent. And so here, this truth alone right here, is it consistent? This will get a lot of those heresies that are in the church right now. I'm not saying this one. I hope not. Uh, but in the American church, universalism, that's one of them. That Jesus isn't the only way, that in the end, everybody's going to be saved. And you can take a couple verses and go, ooh, I can make it say that. But you take the whole of Scripture, you can't say that. Not at all. There is one way, it's Jesus Christ. There is a heaven, there is a hell that's so clear in Scripture. But people will say, I can't believe in a God who would send somebody to hell. Well, again, who's the authority? You or, or God? We could go down the list, the Mosaic Law. There are some who will claim, no, we still need to obey certain of the Mosaic Law, the dietary laws and these things. Well, Galatians makes very clear that's not the case. The book of Hebrews makes very clear. You can go down the list. A couple verses you can grab and go, ooh, we do need to obey the Mosaic Law. But you understand them in context with the whole of Scripture, you'll see the truth in that. Again, the prosperity gospel. This one is, again, leading people astray because there are verses. And there is a principle in Scripture that you live your life God's way, it will go better for you. That's just a fact. Right? God's view of sexual morality, he gave it to us for our good. We obey it. Things will go better for you. You handle your finances God's way, it will go better for you. Uh, and if you need help with that, take financial peace. It's awesome. And so God's plan is best for us, but prosperity gospel grabs just a few and says, you're good enough, you give enough, whatever, then you'll be healthy, wealthy, all, you know, You'll never die. I mean, go down the list. This is where it comes to people who, if you have enough faith and pray for this person, they'll be healed, and then they're not. And then families are destroyed because they think it's their fault. That's all out of line with the rest of God's word. Or how about this? This is destroying the American church, sexuality. This is the big thing in our world right now. You can choose your gender, right? Homosexuality, sex outside of marriage, God doesn't care, whatever. Uh, love who you want to love. That's the mantra now. Be free to love who you want to love. God's word is very, very clear. Very clear. From the very beginning, in the beginning, God made them male and female. And you read throughout all of scripture, sex is for one man and one woman within marriage. Anything else is out of bounds. Now, does God love everybody? Absolutely. Is it possible for everybody to be saved? Absolutely. But you can't, and again, people are doing this. They're taking it and they're, they're saying, oh, this word actually means this. It's like, no, for 2,000 years, nobody's read it that way. But because you want to do what you want to do, you're going to look into it and manipulate it. And here's how you can avoid that. When you know something's true, just obey it. You know, just do what it says. Stop going, I want this to be true. And so I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek till I find somebody who agrees with me. And you'll find them. They're out there. They even have PhDs, right? You will find somebody to agree with you. Stop it. 
Go to God's word, believe what he says, and obey, and it will go better for you. So here's the last one. Test four, the test of spiritual growth. The test of spiritual growth. Remember the goal in, in 2 Timothy there, or in 1 Timothy. The goal is love from a pure heart. The goal, as we learn, again, the, the goal isn't to be ignorant. You know, we want to learn, we want to grow in knowledge, we want to study, but it leads us to love, love of God and love of others. That's the goal. And so, as we grow, we should change to be more like Jesus. This is spiritual growth. Sound doctrine is beneficial for spiritual growth, spiritual health. False doctrine leads to spiritual weakness. And you've probably seen this in people. People who look really good, they look really smart, but they're not real loving, right? You know, they, they stand on this one truth or whatever, but the rest of their life is kind of out of line. It's okay to look at a teacher's life. And, and by the way, Scripture makes very clear, teachers are going to be held more responsible, held accountable. And so it's okay to look at a teacher's life and go, does your life line up? And we have a sad history. I mean, just right now, I could go through lists of church leader names in the last three years who have fallen from grace because of pride, because of sex, whatever it is. And so here, we need to look at the life of the person teaching and what they're teaching shouldn't lead to divisiveness, but unity and love. Second Timothy Again, Paul writes to the same pastor of the same church. He warns him again, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Let me say that one again. Disobedient to their parents. <laughs> ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Wow, what a warning. We want to learn. We need to grow. But so often in our churches, we, we think knowledge is the end result. And so we focus so much on that. If you are in so many Bible studies, you don't have time to be living your faith out, there's something out of line. We're supposed to learn and grow, but we're also supposed to go and make disciples. So as we carry out our mission, we must be alert, we must be wise, and do not be deceived. Now listen, as we wrap up and we move toward worship, the goal, as we learn God's word, accurate doctrine, the goal is our flourishing. The goal is we fall deeper in love with God. We fall deeper in love with other people. And that abundant life that comes through this abiding relationship becomes ours. All of God's instructions are best for us. The family, morality, just go down the list. Finances. We can believe what he says, and we can obey and follow. And listen, I want to go back to the beginning, though. We're wrapping up Acts. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Listen, not maybe you should be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Gardnerville, Carson City. Go down the list. We are here to be a witness. And so we cling tightly to Jesus. We grow and we go. Let's worship. God, I love you. I thank you so much that your word is so clear. I thank you that you have made, you've made it easy for us to believe that the Bible is your word. God, it's so consistent. 
Uh, even all the outside proofs for it align that we can trust it. It is the most reliable piece of literature we have. And God, I thank you that you want what's best for us. I thank you that following you is what's best for us. And God, I do ask for us as, as Common Ground Church, but also for the American church, for the global church, that you would protect the truth. God, you do. It's your truth. It's about you. But I ask you would protect us, God, that we would be so loving. We wouldn't be uh, worried about people coming in, but we would have our eyes open. God, that we would learn how to discern truth from falsehood and that then we would have the boldness and the courage to follow your truth and to share it in love. God, grow your kingdom. Let us continue to be part of your work for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.